Good afternoon. Welcome to Second Shift with Rob Festenstein. Thank you to our uh, listeners who joined us in our previous two episodes where I interviewed both my sons. And today we are joined by a longtime friend of mine, Scott McAdams, who is joining us via the internet from DeKalb, Illinois. And Scott and I have known each other a better part of 30 years. And uh, I don't want to think of him as a guinea pig on this uh, new hobby of mine, but rather as uh, someone interesting who all of you who listen uh, should be able to uh, learn something from. So, Scott, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. No problem. Why don't we uh, start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What are you? Where are you? All that fun stuff. Sure. Um, I'm Scott McAdams. I'm 50 years old. Um, I'm an alderman in DeKalb, Illinois. I uh, born and raised in uh, on the southwest side of Chicago, and I've lived in Illinois my entire life. Um, and Rob and I, we met at college, and we uh, always had very lively and entertaining conversations back then. So I, about a wide variety of things, yeah, absolutely, yes. Okay, well, thank you for the introduction. Um, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about DeKalb? I think the only thing most people would know about DeKalb. Uh, is that it's Cindy Crawford's hometown. Sure. Um, and I did a little reading about the city, you know, in preparation for our conversation. Um, and one of the things I found out about DeKalb that I did not know uh, is Fred Eichner, the media mogul, is also from there. Absolutely. I did not know that. Yeah. And of course, there's Northern Illinois University. Correct. And uh, tell us more about the suburb, or excuse me, the city. Well, you know, it, it's an exurb, but yeah, you're right. It's a suburb. Um, it doesn't think of itself as a suburb. It thinks of itself as a small town in the country. Uh, there are 40,000 plus people here. And it, we have, because of the university, we have a microcosm of everything that every other big city has, um, but on a much smaller scale. So here we have um, you know, the most the most exciting thing, of course, is Northern Illinois University. That's the reason why I live here. Uh, my son is a, a diehard NCAA sports fan, and this was the best way to give him access to all of the sports that he enjoys when he spends his time with me. Uh, so that I moved here about five years ago. I was living at uh, on the southwest side of Chicago and uh, decided to come out here to so I could be closer to my son. And uh, I got interested in local politics right away, started going to city council meetings. And then uh, I do work for a, a partisan, one of the partisan parties that we won't discuss, but um, they had they had assigned me the local municipal elections to organize and recruit candidates. And I couldn't find anybody to run against my own alderman. So I put my name in there just as something to do. And then pretty soon I was running and then pretty soon I'd won. And so now I'm the alderman. I, uh, it's, it's a fairly big job. There's 300 to 900 pages of reading every two weeks, all the backup and all the materials. And it's a hundred a million dollar budget that we deal with every year. And last year we had finally balanced the budget after many years of coming close. And then obviously with COVID-19, we are facing the same economic problems that everyone has faced. Sure. So, is your ward uh, encompassing the university? Part. Uh, the, the majority of the folks that live and work at the university are in the first ward, but the fifth ward does cover the south and southeast part of 
uh, northern Illinois. And if you've ever been here to DeKalb and you've been to our lagoon, the lagoon is in my ward. So that's one oh, of well. the, yeah, it's um, <laughs> one of the one of the uh, the fun places to be when I, uh, I when I was taking pictures for my campaign, of course. Uh, we were looking for well, what's an iconic place in in the city, and I was like, "Well, this is perfect." Um, so there's all sorts of pictures of me all over the lagoon that day. All right. Well, I'll have to remember that. Yeah. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, the reason I asked about the boundaries of your ward is I may have told you when I first heard that you were running that two people I grew up with who went to my high school, Maine East High School. Uh, both at different times were aldermen in the city of DeKalb. Um, and that would be Aaron Raffle yep. and Brad Strauss. Yes. Uh, this would have been late 80s, early 90s. And I believe that they were elected largely based on the student population at the time. I don't recall. Um, but is there still a quote unquote student seat on the city council? Essentially, yes. Um, it's the it's the seat that often changes hands the most. Um, it tends to to attract younger, uh, more vibrant members. Uh, I cannot remember a time where the first ward was not held by someone under the age of 40. Um, and I've known, uh, the people that I've known from that were aldermen in the first ward were all young when they did it. So it's kind of an opportunity for people to get involved in politics. I, of course, am over 40, uh, was over 40 when I was elected. Uh, my ward is largely a retired ward. Uh, there are homeowners and uh, they've lived here a long time. And one of the things that was surprising to me is that I had a beat an incumbent who had lived here her whole life and had been active in all sorts of local things. And I have not. So I was kind of surprised that they took me in. And um, But uh, here we are. And it's been a, a, a true honor. Um, I studied politics in college, and all of the things that I studied in all of my classes have finally come into use. Um, and oftentimes, they'll, they'll kind of roll their eyes at me when I'll say, well, I remember back at Illinois State University when we covered this in an urban politics class, they said, la, 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 and they said, okay, we have to put up with Scott and his uh, reminiscing about his Illinois State days. But gotcha. But it's, it's really a fascinating job. I've, I've gotten to learn a lot about the city that I live in. Uh, things I didn't know, um, problems, uh, challenges that we um, we haven't addressed yet, um, things that are too big to address with small budgets. And so um, the, fortunately for DeKalb, we just brought in two multinational large corporations, um, the, a candy company called Ferrara. And then obviously um, everyone's heard of Facebook. We, they've located a data center here. So in a couple of years, DeKalb is going to change. And it's going to have a lot more money to work with and a lot more. It won't be our budgets are tight and our, we do a lot of you have to be a fiscal conservative out here because there's not a lot of tax revenue and you can't raise. The, what, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, what type of incentives did you have to make for these companies to come to DeKalb? Well, so that's the thing that comes up a lot. Um, we gave 50 percent rebates on the taxes. Uh, the farmland that those two companies are will be occupying was generating about one three hundredth of the tax revenue that those companies will bring in. So instead of getting 600%, we got 300% increase. And so it's really, I mean, we're gonna, um, the, the property, the one property is gonna bring in almost $8 million in tax revenue a year. 
And so it was worth it to, for us. We were up against a, another city in Wisconsin with similar demographics and similar uh, features. Uh, the, the beautiful thing about DeKalb is we have great water here, and that's super important to data centers. And so that was uh, one, of the, one of the reasons we were in the running. And then obviously the state of Illinois was very excited to bring it in because that's going to help everybody. So the state of Illinois worked real hard to bring it in as well. So there were other incentives on their end. Very interesting. And Facebook, I didn't know that they ran data centers. Um, that, that I, I find that fascinating. And I know that Amazon right now is making, um, I've often said that Amazon is on a quest to take over the entire world, but yes. um, they are gobbling up um, abandoned shopping centers to make them distribution facilities. Yeah, and they hire a lot of people. Yes, they do. So th and that's hard for a city to turn down because especially if you've got like in our situation, we do have a, quite a bit of uh, industrial and manufacturing. And so for us to add to that with um, the other company is uh, the uh, Ferraris especially is going to hire a bunch of people. Um, Facebook's data center won't necessarily they'll hire a lot of people, um, but not compared to the candy company. The candy company will employ lots and lots of people from DeKalb and the area. And we're, we were really happy to get them. Well, that's a, that's a feather in your cap uh, to your to your service on the council. Yes, sir. Is is the forty thousand population exclusive of students? It is not. That includes the students, and we we just went through the uh, the census process, and we're going to take a sharp hit. And there's just no way around. <laughs> yeah, um, we we had about seventy percent of the number of people that did it in twenty ten. And so that that's obviously going to cost the city money and influence and, and power. Um, it looks like we're going to lose a congressman. It looks like it's going to be our congressman. And uh, it's it's rough because we just with COVID, there was really not much you could do in terms of getting out right. to, to reach people. And so we if we couldn't reach you electronically and we couldn't reach you, you know, with newspaper articles, then I think we were lost. But there was a big push here in Ohio. I mean, the. Uh, they were basically coming around to people's houses and begging you to fill out the forms. Yes, we want. We were um, going to do more of that, and that that yeah. got cut back. So, you know, and I think the number here I saw was that for every person that wasn't counted, the Southwest Ohio area loses about uh, three thousand dollars in funding. Yep, per year. Um, per year. So that's over ten years. Yeah. So that's uh, it's a significant chunk. And it's really unfortunate that that um, the timing was just off. Well, may the next census be much better. Absolutely. Um, tell me more about the council in terms of how you get business done. Is it uh, is it acrimonious? Is it uh, well natured? I mean, is it easy to get legislation? Through? It is. Uh, we have a, how, how does that? We work? have a city manager who's been around the area for a long, long time. And he is very capable and very intelligent. So when members of the council ask him to do something, he gets it done. And that's been, I think, the biggest help. Uh, there are it, It's a five to two split on the board in terms of ideologies. But really, when it comes to local politics, it's more a matter of what's best for the area. And in that situation, nine times out of ten, we agree. Uh, every time we disagree, we do so very pleasantly. Um, I'm surprised at how 
fluid everyone is on the board at working together and being professional. Um, I'm not surprised necessarily, but I'm, I'm proud that our city staff is unbelievable. They really work hard every day. Every person I interact with is very professional, uh, very organized, and just does a great job for the city and uh, for the taxpayers. And every time I turn around, many of them are, are of a different ideology, political ideology than me. And I just have to give them praise and credit and be thankful that I get to work with such people that I ne wouldn't necessarily have connected with through my political connections, but um, I'm more than happy to serve with. That, that's interesting you mentioned that because here in Cincinnati, there is a group, even though the elected city council, they're either Democrat, mostly either Democrat or Republican, <laughs> Um, they function nonpartisan and, you know, they look at it. There isn't a Democrat or a Republican way to fix a problem. Exactly. You just get it done for the Correct. People. Correct. Yes. Constituent services, especially there's really, you just have to make sure that you're listening and try and address as many things as you can. We can't always do everything that we get asked to do. That was one of the things that kind of surprised me is the number of uh, requests that I've received that I cannot possibly fulfill. I had a, a resident who's a strong supporter and a, a good friend who wanted me to get rid of uh, the tinting in the car windows and was very, un mm. yeah, very unhappy that I could not do that. <laughs> um, but I, I explained, I'm like, well, even if we banned it here in DeKalb, which would be unlikely, um, we can't keep people from doing it. And so it's just one of those things that um, uh, you can't always give everybody what they want. And so that's been, it's been an interesting experience having, residents come up with three or four questions and two or three of them I can't solve. Well, you can't be all things to all people. And, you know, it's quite a noble pursuit. And, you know, I, I bring up the old expression, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> that has ne never been more true in my life than in the last 12 to 15 months. Um, and so with that, you know, no matter what you do, you're going to have people who are happy with you or people who are unhappy True. with you. And I guess that just goes the way of local government. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Before COVID, what were the big issues the city was so facing? So the biggest issue that this city was facing was that we've had about three or four decades of stagnancy. And so we just have been unable to take advantage of, for example, Chicago is the sixth or seventh largest economy in the world, and it's within an hour's drive, and it was simply the, the benefits of that economy we're not reaching out here. And Are there people who commute into the far there suburbs are, of Chicago? There are many. Um, that, the best way to make a living is to live here and work there. Uh, the quality of life out here is outstanding. It's very inexpensive to live here because it's a college town. There's always something uh, inexpensive and affordable. And uh, a lot of our entertainment options are super affordable compared to an hour west or an hour east of us in Chicago. So, so people might seemingly live in DeKalb um, and maybe commute to like uh, DuPage Correct. County, Kane County, McHenry yeah, County. Naperville and Aurora large employers of DeKalb residents. And when I, I was working in uh, Elgin, which is the Northwest suburbs, um, I was working there right before COVID hit. And there were a number of people at my office from DeKalb. 
and I was kind of surprised because it was a it was a, an hour drive and it was not a particularly easy drive. So it didn't seem like a natural fit, but it's one of those things we want to bring the benefits of the western suburbs out here. Um, and we want to get uh, DeKalb caught up to where it, I think it should be. I, I don't there's nothing bad about DeKalb, nothing necessarily wrong with it. Um, it's just a little bit behind the times. And we have a city, our sister city is Sycamore, Illinois. And they've done a really good job of making the transition from uh, from a, a rural area to an exurb, and so we, we're mod- mm-hmm. uh, we're modeling our success off of off of some of the things that they've done. And our city manager originally was city manager in Sycamore, so we have the same person at the helm to kind of guide us to the next step. And it's been really exciting to watch him work. Uh, I asked one time, very bright man, very very well read. Um, much older than I, uh, but still fully in, uh, with his faculties and fully engaged. And I said to him, you're, you're a fascinating character. I'd like to play chess with you sometime. And he said, oh, no way. Almost knowing that, um, you know, I would be able to be able to kind of read what he was doing. Um, but he's always one step ahead of the game. And he's always prepared with an answer. And he's always got everything on the table in front of him so that he's ready to go. And it's kind of fun to watch a, a, a professional who's been doing this a long time and how he goes about his business. And so I feel kind of fortunate that I've been, um, you know, front and center to watch how that works because the, obviously, um, you know, the city manager position is super powerful and he has all sorts of opportunities at, at his, at his fingertips to do all sorts of things. And then to watch, what he chooses to do and how he chooses to handle things has really been an education. Well, I, I hope that will continue to rub off on you as you uh, serve the people of DeKalb and uh, see the city grow and see the fruits of their you. labor. Um, I don't want to uh, spend our whole amount of time talking about uh, city government and politics, though I'm yes. sure we could. Um, <laughs> I, I remember go. we were watching the Super Bowl with a friend of ours whose team was in the Super Bowl and the entire game, you and I sat and talked politics. And I think it, it got under his skin a little bit, but I, I remember, yeah, we, you and I could go on and on forever about that topic. Well, uh, there'll be plenty of other opportunities. Sure. I, and I think it's very fitting. Uh, I'm going to segue here uh, that we are talking this weekend because Friday uh, would have been John Lennon's 80th yep. birthday. And uh, in the car, I spent a fair amount of time in the car and I listened to the Beatles channel and they've been having a lot of uh, retrospectives of his life. And yesterday I was listening uh, and they had Sean on talking about his father and Paul McCartney. So, you know, as long as I've known you, you've been uh, one of the largest Beatle fans uh, I've ever met. And I've always been fascinated by that. And you know, over the years, if I see an article about the Beatles, I'll send yep. it to you, you know, and more than likely you already know. What Sometimes, not always. <laughs> but I, I suppose I'll jump out with one bit of um, uh, urban legend and I'd like okay. your input on it. You know, it's been said that, uh, you know, Yoko Ono was responsible for breaking up the Beatles. And I just like to know your answer. So angle on I'm it. a non-traditional Beatles fan on this topic. Uh, most Beatles fans believe that she ruined everything, uh, that she got involved and she messed up the the uh, 
very delicate balance of power in the Beatles. Uh, I do not believe that whatsoever. Uh, I believe that the Beatles were already broken up when she got there. And that, uh, unfortunately, I think racism and xenophobia in the late 1960s played a lot to do with finding someone to blame. And, uh, you know, in the late 1960s, it wasn't that long since the since World War II. So someone of Japanese origin was not necessarily held in the highest of esteem. And unfortunately, I think Yoko bore the brunt of the, the frustration. A lot of a lot of young women would have liked to have married John Lennon. And had they known that he was yeah, available for a second wife, they might have taken the job. Um, that was not available to most people. It was one of those things that just happens. And so I think there was a little bit of jealousy. And I think that in general, just being Japanese in the late 1960s was not the ideal place to be. She was his first. No, he was wife, married correct? at the time. He was very married at the time. I, I yeah. understand correctly. And, um, know. you know, it's um, she was a very traditional stay-at-home, blonde-haired, blue-eyed housewife. And uh, Yoko was not. And so I think that was just, a, the you know, the 60s were a time of change. And um, it took people time to get used to the idea. Um, I don't, I, I, we think about it today and we don't really, it, it's, it's a matter of the past. But obviously, um, mixed-race marriages back in the 1960s were very controversial. And um, they went, John, they, I think they believe that John went from the lovable mop top that everyone knew to some radical wide eyed leftist. And I think he was actually a radical wide eyed leftist before it started. I just think he kept that part of his persona out of the public eye. And then eventually, when he took a position, he alienated half his audience. And uh, it's just one of those things that came out of the 60s and the 70s that. Um, he was very, very outspoken on politics and political issues, and and, and very controversial in that for regard, sure. Too. Uh, yeah, he took a he took a a very non traditional role, and he was supposed to just play nice and and be everybody's friend. And so I think that's one. Of, I I I miss him today because I wonder what he would say. I can't even imagine. I can't yeah. even imagine what he would say about our lives today or the current events or any of the things that that we we have going on and um i saw a funny article uh, on the internet where they said um imagine what john lennon would be tweeting today and imagine the people that would be um having uh, issues with some of his stuff because obviously he's from the older generation and so they were thinking that he wouldn't be considered um far left or radical or or controversial at all today he'd probably seem pretty uh pretty mainstream and um, status quo. And that's, I thought about that and I, I wonder, you know, when we're, we were robbed of the opportunity to find out um, how he ended up or how he would have ended up. And so that's one of those things that, um, it's just a tragedy. And, oh, absolutely. And I remember uh, watching Monday Night Football when the news broke by sure. Howard Cosell uh, when he was killed. Um, you know, and his his legacy is quite rich. Um, if you get the chance, uh, Dana Carvey does a bit where Paul McCartney talks to John Lennon in heaven. Oh, oh. And okay. It, I'm not familiar with that one. It's quite funny. And they talk about uh, iPhones. They talk about Kanye West, uh, all different kinds of things. And um, 
it's very funny and i recently enjoyed the movie yesterday which i thought was i'm glad you brought well that up because that scene was um it would, i'm not going to ruin it for anyone listening who hasn't seen the movie there's a scene in that movie that's worth the price of admission and then some yes and um it, it was very call it an alternative right. history movie um but it was just very well done, lots of twists. And uh, for anyone who enjoys music of, you know, the first British invasion, right. I'll call it, uh, very well worth it. Uh, and I believe it's on uh, I be Netflix. I believe so. Netflix, and but, yeah, uh, it's um, whenever anybody goes and tackles the, the large legacy of the Beatles, I always cringe a little bit and I worry that they're not going to handle it well. And that was another one of those projects. Um, Cirque du Soleil's Love was another good one. And uh, the, the movie yesterday really handled the Beatles catalog and the Beatles legacy with respect and dignity while still being yes. kind of, it's a very creative idea and a very interesting story. Um, and you, like you said, it's an alternative history type thing. Um, what if they didn't exist? What if they weren't, what if no one remembered them? And um, it was a, definitely one of the best movies um, of last year. Well, and that, that's um, uh, one of the things I read up on after seeing that movie are the large number of people who have covered the Beatles. Um, in some cases, I would submit uh, that the covers were better than the original songs. And uh, the one that immediately comes to mind uh, is Joe Cocker yes. covering. Um, yeah, and uh, Joe Cocker... Uh, and again, there's a funny uh, John Belushi bit where he imitates Joe Cocker. Um, he's almost better right, than Joe right. Cocker himself. But with, yeah, with... <laughs> I mean, art, artists from Wilson Pickett uh, to Elvis, I mean, and the influence they had on the variety of musicians, even in today's world. Uh, one of my favorite bands, uh, Kiss, uh, Gene Simmons directly attributed his interest in becoming a musician to the Beatles and two more different musical styles right, you couldn't right. find. Well, but, I also uh, listen to the Beatles channel quite a bit when I'm in the car. And I'm my favorite part of that uh -huh. is the is the covers. Susie and the Banshees did a cover of yeah. Dear Prudence that's above and beyond. I hate to say it because I love the Beatles, but it, it's above and beyond what they put on the record in the 1960s. And so it's just one of those things where you hear it and you hear a different artist's take on it and you hear the way that the artist approaches the song and you think, well, it's, it's a wealth of, of, of work for anyone who's in the music business uh, that they can go back and restyle some of these songs in almost any fashion, um, every genre. There, there's a, a CD out and it came out a long time ago, but it was of all country for, uh, cover versions of Beatles songs. And it was all country stars singing. And it, it was amazing. It was fantastic. It was, and it, it uh, all the Beatles songs lended themselves to the country Western genre. And so it was really kind of, it, it just, it's, it's amazing that it, it's given us such a wealth of, of music to listen to and, and uh, things to fill our time with and things to think about. I, I was pretty sure when you brought this up, you were going to ask me about Paul being dead. And it, I was going to report that I saw him last summer at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, and he looked quite alive to me. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, I mean, their legacy also, uh, 
you know, I, I took a look at a list of covers. It ranges from everything from Aerosmith. Exactly. To the and there's so, a, a children's program that uh, they, they came out and they did a bunch of TV shows all based on Beatles songs. And so my girlfriend's children, who are 15 and uh, five, they they both uh, knew all the Beatles songs. And I was kind of surprised. And it was all from this children's show that. Uh, they, and they retool it. And I can't recall. I don't recall the name of the children's show off the top of my head. And I do apologize. But it's um, it's reaching the new generations and it's going to be around for a while. Yes. And, you know, people often make the comparison as well between the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. But I say that that's apples and yeah. oranges. And, you know, the Rolling Stones have very much a rich legacy. Right. As it's well, another band but, that I really uh, enjoy. And we also saw them over the summer. Um, last year, I, I saw Paul McCartney and the Rolling Stones, and I thought I was being excessive. And this year with COVID, I'm so glad that I went to both of those. Because as those artists age, you just wonder how much longer they can do that. Uh, Mick Jagger. Well, you know, just when everyone writes Mick Jagger off, you know, it seems like he fathers another <laughs> child and has to go out touring to keep paying the bills. And he looks and, uh, like it's 1975. He does not he does not look like a yes. man in his late 70s. He's he does not move like a man in his late 70s. It is unbelievable the amount of energy that he still brings to the stage. Well, I guess that's what his time at the London School of Economics uh, did for him and uh Yes, he's quite prolific, and if I remember correctly, he has children younger than he his great-grandchildren. Yeah, that is... Uh, well, you know, when you're wow. um, on stage every night and 50,000 people are yelling your name, you're probably pretty popular during the day. Yeah. yeah there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, may they all be continue to perform and be well and all that. We've got a few minutes left, and um, briefly, you know, uh, the world has changed a lot since, you know, you and I uh, lived in the same uh, residence mm -hmm. hall, as it were, at Illinois State, and the campus is quite different. I was back about uh, 15 years ago, and I didn't even recognize it, and, you know, when we were there, they were just getting into the uh, whole notion of sure. political correctness. And uh, what I recently read in Watterson Towers, the 10 sections of the building were named for the first 10 uh, secretaries right. of state uh, in our country. And those were recently taken down, uh, given everything that's going on in our country right now. And I don't know that I agree or disagree with it, but um, I think when we were there, the school logo uh, was even changed because it had a line in there that was considered to be sexist from sure. Chaucer. Uh, gladly would he learn right. and gladly teach. And that was adapted. And uh, I'm just curious to know, you know, what do you think it would be like to go to college nowadays in this climate, in the political climate, just in general, without talking about the election, but uh, the whole Well, the college, college here, Northern Illinois University, the students that I do talk to, uh, they're very, very much involved in uh, intersectional politics, um, bringing people who have not had a voice forward and 
So to them, it's not political correctness. To them, it's it's finally giving voice to people who uh, were suppressed. And so it, it's interesting to, I mean, we um, we thought we were pretty radical in the late 1980s and um, we're pretty conservative by today's standard. Um, they're very sensitive to other cultures and other people and other people's experiences in a way that is actually quite refreshing. Um, it, we, there, it's very respectful and it's very open and honest and not at all derogatory. And so it's, it, I think it's better. I hate to say that cause I'm from the old school, but mm-hmm. it, the new school is a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit, um, more sensitive. And so that's, it's one of those situations where, um, once everyone kind of gets the feel for, um, treating each other with respect. And I think that's something I think we're all looking forward to in the near future, since a modern, the modern uh, political system is not necessarily cooperative, uh, but quite divisive. And so I think uh, we're going to get, you know, the, the pendulum swings back. And when the pendulum swings back towards um, community and, and bringing people together, I, I think that we'll be better for the experience. I, it's been a painful growth, but necessary for our country. Yeah. Right. I mean, the biggest issue when we were in college was the Gulf War, you know, whether you were uh, for it or against it. And the other thing I remember is uh, what was known at that time as the isms policy. And uh, I'd like to think that that's evolved uh, to today's standards. Um, And it's quite fitting that, you know, tomorrow, aside from it being Thanksgiving Day in Canada, is... uh, Columbus Day, and I know that many municipalities, including here in Cincinnati, have changed that. Uh, It's now called Indigenous Peoples Day, and, you know, Christopher Columbus was a very polarizing figure, and I I know that it's kind of hard to sanitize history, but sometimes I think maybe it's just best we learn from our mistakes. And that's what we're doing. I think acknowledging the mistake has been painful, uh, but I think that once we get past that, I think we'll be on to better things. Um, we were all grown up. We all grew up with a different history than the one that we we know today. And so right. that I think maybe it's best to teach the children the way it really was to begin with so that you don't have to change what they think later on. Um, and I think we were all sheltered on purpose from a lot of that just because they didn't want to have right. to answer the questions and they didn't want to have to worry. But um, it's better to teach accurate history because then that way no one is surprised or shocked i think half of the world uh, today is having a difficulty accepting some things that they were not taught when they were younger and so that teaching teaching children things that are wrong is really what's the cause of the problem and once well and the two best examples of that i would like to say you know that i've discussed with my kids have been the Japanese internment camps in World War II, which very much pushed aside. Uh, People forget about that. And also what our country did to the Native Americans and how they were treated. And, you know, we made up for it in some ways. But now if you look at that community, you know, yes, they're making a living off of gaming tax free, but they live amongst the highest rates of poverty, alcoholism and uh, other health issues so maybe we can tackle that that's a topic for one Um, whole segment anyway there's 
because uh, right now Absolutely. in California, there's a subcommittee in either the House or their Senate uh, looking at reparations. And so that's um, we're 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 entering a different era in that where some that would have been on. Yes. You couldn't talk about that 30 years ago. And now they're talking about it at the highest levels of government. Well, and even people within the current governor of California's party. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, um, in many ways, all of this painful growth is going to be better for us. That's kind of how I look at it. There you go. There you go. Well, we should all be healthy and well. And Scott, our time is coming to an end here. And I truly want to thank you for giving me uh, some time uh, away from your family and your loved ones. And uh, I hope we can have Thank you, you very much. I enjoyed episode. it quite a bit. All right. Our guest has been Scott McAdams this morning. And thank you all for listening. Uh, watch out for our next weekly podcast. And have a good day. Thank you. That was great. <laughs>